If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, let's bow for, uh, let's bow for prayer. Father, again, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the great privilege we have to be able to come and gather together here as believers. Again, Father, we ask, as we always do, that when we open your word, and here in particular in the book of Ephesians, we ask, Lord, that you would, again, grant us the ability to understand those things that are being written and emphasized by Paul. We pray, Lord, that these things would be beneficial to our life. The Father will have a better understanding of the life you've called us to live. That, Lord, for us, in turn, it would be more fulfilling and more satisfying. One, Lord, that brings glory and honor to you. So, Father, we thank you for being here with us tonight. And again, we thank you, Father, for preserving your word for us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians 5, it reads, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart for the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This evening, I want to emphasize verse 18, where he tells us not to be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word dissipation means excess. The idea is being uh, the individual is hopelessly out of control. And so he tells us, don't be drunk with wine, which is being hopelessly out of control, but be filled with the Spirit. So most of us understand uh, what he's talking about here. When you're drunk with alcohol, you lose control, you lose self-respect, you lose the respect of others. He's telling us here not to be drunk or not to get drunk. And then following that is a positive command, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, this is a command, not a suggestion. Now what I want to do is, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how this verse is normally looked at and understood. I'm going to do that briefly. Out of verse 18 and this understanding that most of us probably have heard and been exposed to most of our lives, there has been built this understanding about how sanctification works in our life. And I believe that it's taken us down the wrong path. What I mean by that is this, when when many individuals look at verse 18 and they see that the term or the phrase be filled is a command, then the assumption is, well, if it's a command, there's something that I need to do. And so out of that has come these ideas. Number one, I cannot be filled with the spirit if I have unconfessed sin within me. I cannot be filled with the spirit if I'm conducting my life in the energy of the flesh. I cannot be filled with the Spirit while I'm resisting God's will and relying only on myself. So I need to be sure that I've taken care of the sins of my life. Uh, I need to take care of at least those sins that have emerged that I can see in my life to make sure that I'm not ignoring the wrong that I have done uh, before God and to others. Make sure that I'm walking in a conscious dependence upon the Lord, uh, doing that on a daily basis. And if I do those things, then when I pray and ask the Lord to fill me with the Spirit, He will do so. The problem with that is it has led to, in many cases, this idea 
That all, there's all these things we have to do. They were praying, sometimes even begging God to fill us. And it, it almost focuses on, when I say experience, it doesn't mean that we necessarily feel something. It's not like we're trying to put ourselves in, a, in, a, in some kind of an altered state. But the idea is, is that if we really want to walk with the Lord, if we, want to live, if we really want to live in obedience to what he's saying, then we need to get this. We need to understand this verse right here. This is viewed by some as kind of being the secret uh, to our sanctification, to you and I being holy, uh, to you and I living lives that, that please God in every way, while you want to make sure that the Holy Spirit of God is controlling every aspect of your life. Now, there's truth in those statements, but the way that it's brought together and the way that it is attached to this verse, I think, has led to a lot of difficulties. And, and those difficulties kind of reveal themselves in A, in, I don't know, maybe it's still many churches, um, you still have times where just a large number of believers will continue to come forward in a service because they're, they're trying to deal with these sins in their life because they want to be filled with the Spirit. They know that they're not filled with the Spirit because if they, if they were filled, they wouldn't be doing all these other things. So they've got to deal with this thing so they can be filled and they can stop doing these things. And if they can get all that together, they're going to be you know, kind of going in the right direction. Uh, for others, what takes place is it seems like they can just never get it, so they give up. Now, they won't say it that way, but it's just kind of, it's just, it's not going to be me. I'm just, I'm never going to be there. And so it kind of leads to some discouragement in their life uh, and maybe even to the point of kind of giving up. There's a, out of that has come this idea. I've mentioned this, it has been a long time since I've talked about this. Um, and I really don't know if they, if they continue to make little booklets and pamphlets to talk about this. I'm assuming they do, um, but because I, I don't, teach this. I don't come across them because I don't order them. But this has led to this idea that within Christianity or within the world, let's put it that way, within the world there's three categories of people. You have non-believers, then you have believers, and then you have carnal Christians. And a lot of you are carnal Christians, and so we've got to get you out of being a carnal Christian so you can be the spirit-filled uh, believer. Of course, the problem with that is there's no category like that. There's no such thing as a category of carnal uh, believers. That's a misunderstanding of another passage, which we will get to, but that will not be tonight. Um, <laughs> but, but that was a very popular thing, especially in the uh, late 60s, throughout the 70s, uh, at least in the first half of the 80s, that was very, very popular, that kind of questioning, you know. Uh, or maybe in, involving counseling and trying to help individuals overcome things. You know, the idea is, well, you're just a carnal Christian, and so you need to do this and do that, and then you can overcome these things. And so we want to go back and more carefully examine what the Bible says and see if we can make sense out of verse 18. And so I'm going to be kind of combating this wrong idea as I continue to develop what I think it's saying. So there will be certain things that I'll probably say over and over again. Uh, just to, to make sure that, we, that we're getting this. You still have a, a, probably a good number of pastors. Normally, they would be individuals who are age 55 and older. That's, that's the group I'm in, because that's what we were raised with. That's, that was the predominant thing um, that was uh, being touted within m many churches. And so it's just a very natural thing to kind of uh, go in that direction. Um, and so... Uh, 
Um, you haven't heard it here because I don't, I don't do that anymore, um, which is a good thing, but nonetheless. Uh, but the idea is, is that um, it, uh, the, the, the pamphlets that were written was basically a challenge to the carnal Christian for them to, to try to move forward to having the spirit-filled life. To do so, they needed to confess their sins. Um, they needed to present every area of their lives over to God. They continue to surrender every aspect of their life over to God. And if they do that, they would then begin to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised and be filled with the Spirit. And then the way that they would describe the abundant life would vary from individual to individual and maybe at times from denomination to denomination. But the idea, I'm assuming in most cases, is you would be happy, you would be fulfilled, you'd be satisfied, um, you know, you'll be... Uh, so directed by the Spirit of God, it's an exaggeration if I say at that point everything you touch will be holy and you know people all around you will fall down and repent. Um, you know, that, but but that's kind of, that was kind of the image that was being hinted at. Nobody would ever say that, but that was kind of being hinted at. That, and so they might hold up you know, stories of individuals where that kind of thing might happen. And, oh, it's, it's because of this. It's because they're leading a Spirit-filled life. And uh, you should want to have that too, especially if you uh, state that you love the Lord. And of course, that becomes very manipulative because then if you don't do what they say, that means you don't love the Lord. Um, and it just leads to all kinds of difficulties, I think, within the Christian life uh, and uh, moves away from what the Bible says. So again, we do understand that there is a problem at times that there are many believers who do fall short of the biblical idea for how a Christian is to live their life. But that's part of growing up. That's part of maturing. That, that's, that's not like some unique special problem. That's just part of the process. Uh, different people are going to be at different stages in their growth as Christians, and we're going to fall short of the ideals that are given to us um, in, uh, in Scripture. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to all of a sudden renew your commitment to Christ as if somehow that's where your failure is. Because it may not be in that area. That may not be the issue. So I want us to look at that. So, so again, the phrase, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. First of all, this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, in Ephesians 5.18, um, is the only reference to being filled with the Spirit in everything that Paul wrote. So that's important. When we, when we begin to analyze phrases and things in Scripture, Remember that sometimes, maybe most of the time, when, when you come across unique facts about a phrase, you have to be careful when it comes to drawing certain kinds of conclusions, but that doesn't mean that you dismiss what you've discovered. So the example would be this. If this is the only place where Paul uses the phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that what everybody says about it is necessarily wrong because he's only said it once. But at the same time, we have to be careful that we don't build an entire theological system based on just one phrase, especially if there's a possibility it might have been misunderstood or yanked out of context. Uh, so again, when we, when we begin to build a case, we want to look at all these things that we're going to bring up together. We want to continue to bring together to help formulate our thinking uh, and broaden our thinking and understanding things. So again... That this fact alone, that this is the only place where Paul uses this kind of phrasing, to be filled with the Spirit, uh, again, just means that we need to be careful that we don't make this kind of our focal, focal point on our theology of the Holy Spirit, or somehow make this the singular focal point for uh, our entire approach to the Christian life. 
We just we want to take it in, apart with, with all the rest of the Word of God. Um, that's why whenever you come across books or articles or blog articles and someone says, here is the secret to, whether it's the secret to prayer or the secret to a holy life, I know that that can be catchy, but you should be kind of wary. There's no secrets. There's some mysteries in there, and the Bible says what they are. There's no secrets. And um, I don't think there's ever going to be just one thing that if you unlock one thing, then you're going to be a powerful prayer warrior. Or if you unlock one thing, boy, you're going to be on the road to holiness. There's many things. And we need to learn and understand all of them. And what might be, I guess, in a sense, the secret for one person might be completely different for somebody else. So we just have to be wary of that kind of stuff. It's, kind of like, it's almost like the individuals who sell all the new diet pills. You know, when they want to sell something, discover the secret to losing 10 pounds in three days. Woo, I want to know what that secret is. Imagine if you clicked on the link and it said, don't eat for 10 days. And, you know, it's like, well, you probably will lose 10 pounds. I guess, I guess that's a secret. <laughs> but most of the time when, when, when they have those advertisements like that and you click on them, uh, A, it's not a secret. Uh, and B, it probably doesn't work. And C, it will cost you money. <laughs> so anyway... Uh-huh. Same thing when it comes to the Christian life. We have just have to be careful of those things. So I want to go through some observations, which we will not get through all of them tonight, but kind of just taking a look at, at 518, looking at it, thinking about it, asking some questions, uh, comparing it with other scriptures, and then kind of moving on. Uh, some things will be obvious, some things may not be quite so obvious, but nonetheless, we'll try to kind of fill our basket, so to speak, with all these different things to make sure that we're understanding this correctly and not incorrectly. So first of all, the terminology that Paul uses here in 518, uh, in conjunction with the reference to being drunk with wine, um, this idea of being filled with the Spirit should be understood that obviously he's using this in a metaphorical sense. The, the idea that when someone is full of wine, you can tell because they exhibit certain behaviors. That's, that's the idea. And so the comparison then is to the individual then, uh, who is full of the Spirit. You'll be able to tell by the way they live, by looking at them. Now, just that alone is important because I know that for myself, I used to come at this in a different direction. What I, what I used to tell people is, you know, if you, obviously if you're, if you're drunk, you've, you've allowed yourself to, to be under the control of the alcohol because you're the one that has, has, you know, you drank it. But if you want to remain drunk, or if you want to remain under the control of alcohol, you have to keep drinking. So in the same way, then, what I used to tell people is that you want to submit yourself to being filled by the Spirit, and you have to continually do that. Of course, then you get, but then that, that comes with other questions. Well, how, how do you do that? How, how do you make sure that's happening? I mean, what, is there a formula? Is there a special, I mean, these are all kinds of things that Paul never addresses, in here. So the idea is, let's look at it from this angle, which is we're looking at it from the idea that I look at an individual's behavior and I can tell that person is drunk or that person is on something because of the way they're acting. And so he's talking about then the believer behaving or living in a particular way where you can tell that individual is that they're filled with the Spirit. And that's the way that it's supposed to be uh, with the individual. Secondly, uh, being drunk with wine is obviously paralleled with foolishness. 
being filled with the Spirit is linked with wisdom. So remember now, when you, when you work your way through Scripture, wisdom is a function of Christian maturity. Now that's, that's important because the theology that has been derived out of 518 that I mentioned to you before was the idea of confession of sin, repenting of sin, and asking God to fill you with the Spirit. That's, there's not a whole lot of connection with wisdom in that. Wisdom is, is what takes place in the life of the person who's maturing in Christ. The reading of the Word of God, the studying of the Word of God, the applying of the Word of God, accurately understanding the Word of God, all those things go along with that. That's, that. that's not in conjunction with this experience, pursuit of repenting sins, confessing of sins, and, and then you know waiting for God to fill you. There's, there's a difference that's there. So the primary tension then, of, of the older theology, so to speak, is, is this, this asking and filling rather than the process of growing. And when I think that when you read through the New Testament, that's really what you see for the believer. There's this process of maturing. We're, we're encouraged to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a process that we go through in the same way that a child grows. You know, they eat food and they sleep and they do certain things and their body matures and, and they mature emotionally. All kinds of things take place. There's this process that takes place. It's very, very natural, very normal uh, for that to happen. And so when it comes in for the Christian, uh, there's, no, there's not one experience that we're seeking after. It's just a, a natural process. And we would even say that when it comes to uh, Christians and their growth, some Christians, it seems, mature much quicker than others. Different kinds of reasons for that. It's not genetic-based, but there's different reasons for that. But there's still this process that's taking place. There's still the same thing taking place, which is what? The reading of the Word of God, the learning of the Word of God, the understanding of the Word of God, the application of the Word of God. Whether someone is growing quickly or someone is growing uh, slowly, that's the things that are taking place. It, this individual over here that's growing quickly is not someone who had some kind of an experience. It's not the individual who's discovered the secret to sanctification. That, that, that's, they've just applied themselves. kind of comes, uh, uh, again, when it comes to the whole idea of getting stronger. A lot of you know, young boys, they read these articles, you know, and this is how you can become stronger and try this weightlifting routine or whatever. Just so you know, that, that there's not a whole lot of secrets to that. It's really pretty simple. You got to work hard. You got to be consistent. That's it. Almost every system works, but you got to work hard. And what I've seen through the years, that eliminates most people. You know, some people think I, I'm, I've seen it. They walk, They think when they walk into a gym, if you smell the sweat of others. It's like you're a better person for that. Of course, you're not any stronger. Uh, but the idea is somehow, you know, it's, it's, it's like that old joke the guy was telling his wife. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm committed, uh, you know, to getting in shape. And, and today I, com- I complete the most important phase. And his, his wife says, what's that? I drove by the gym today. <laughs> Plenty of parking. <laughs> so the thing is, when it comes to the Christian life, that that's what it is. And so we want to get back to that. Those who talked about the, you know, asking God to fill them in the confession of sin, the, they weren't trying to misrepresent the scripture. And you do have a lot of those ideas in the scripture that we are to do. It, they just don't come out of this. 
We don't shrink them down to this little tightly wound ball that if you you have a grip on that, boy, you're going to shoot forward in your life in Christ. That's not going to happen. And I don't think any of them were intending to lead anybody astray. I I do think they were really trying to help others. Uh, And um, in fact, there was a lot of incredibly great preachers uh, they got caught up. That, when I say get caught up, I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, but what preceded the um, carnal Christian and begging God to fill you with the Spirit and all those types of things, there was a movement in, that started in Europe and it did make its way over here. And it was, and it was uh, they used to have these conventions uh, and they used the word Keswick. And I think it comes from a town, I don't know if it's in Scotland, Ireland, wherever, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but, but it was a Keswick thing and, and they had some fantastic preachers, uh, from, especially from the 60s. That I, 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 would, I would listen to them on the radio. They were, it was incredible. And they just had a great love for Christ and a yearning to walk with the Lord. Uh, you know, when, when they talked about living for the Lord, there was this idea that it was almost as if there was an ongoing conversation with them and God. And whatever they did, whatever they touched, it wasn't magical, but it was just always about God. It was just very... Uh, man, I, I, when I would listen to some of those guys, I'm like, man, I, I want that. That is awesome. And I love to listen to them. And they had a lot of fantastic things to say. But again, what would happen is what it would morph into is individuals always trying to find a way to make sure that, they're, that they were really surrendered to God. And it's true that we are surrendering ourselves to God. I think the more that we learn about the Word of God, the more surrendering there is. But it was almost as if they were doing it outside of that. It was like, again, they were trying to muster the strength and the desire to, you know, to this time really surrender themselves so God could kind of take over. And there would be this frustration uh, with so many because it seemed that didn't happen. And, And maybe what they missed was that a majority, if not all, of the great preachers uh, that would preach at, at, these, at these gatherings, what they all had in common is those men spent hours in the Word of God. That's what it was. They spent hours reading, studying, and living it. And that's why they were the way they were. It wasn't because they developed some formula out of this as to what we can do as Christians. Now, I do think one of the things that we should yearn for as believers is... What a lot of those groups produced, or, and maybe in some, t- in some cases what they kind of revealed, and that is that there was a large number of believers that had a real thirst for the Lord. They really had a very strong desire to be the individuals who were walking with God on a daily basis. They really wanted that. Uh, they wanted that to be true in their life. They, they wanted to be the person uh, in their family, if, you know, in some families, you know, you might be the only believer and they desperately want to be used by God in the lives of others in their family. They want to be able to have the wisdom to be able to speak to them, to point, you know, to point them to Christ. And that's a great yearning. It's a great longing. In fact, sometimes I think that in, in our lives as Christians, that is not around. We don't have that much. You know, we, there's just a bunch of other things, you know, whether it's distractions or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's not really that strong desire where we are, we are consumed. Our entire being is consumed with who God is and the presence of God in our lives and what all that means. And so, you know, we, we need to have that. 
Um, and, and perhaps we should ask the Lord to change our hearts so we'd have that kind of hunger because these individuals were very, very hungry for this. And I think that's why this teaching really took hold of people because they felt like they could connect with it. And again, they really, really wanted it. Um, and so there were a lot of, a lot of pretty cool things happened, I think, in the, in the 70s and 80s when it came to various types of evangelical movements of people really trying to do things for the Lord. Uh, it came out of that. So um, we want to make sure that uh, we don't just kind of dismiss that completely as saying, well, they just had wrong theology and they didn't know what they were doing. Um, I think maybe they were a, a wee bit misguided, but I do think, in a sense, they did know what they were doing. At least they knew what they were longing for. So again, there's this, there, we have this metaphor uh, of being drunk and being filled, and, and that's given to us in this verse. And then, of course, there's the, the, comment, or the uh, comparison between being foolish uh, because being drunk with wine is foolishness, but being filled with the Spirit is linked with wisdom. As we said, wisdom, uh, again, is a function of Christian maturity, uh, and that, uh, I do believe, adequately represents the theology that correctly understands Ephesians 5.18. Thirdly, Paul commanded believers to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, that, we still have to deal with that aspect. It's a command. You know, it's an imperative that Paul is giving. Um, but even though he gives a command, there's nothing in here that says that we should be asking for the filling. That's kind of an assumed thing. People just assume that's what that meant. But I don't think that's there. It's not there in the text anywhere. Now again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No one's saying it's a sin for someone to pray and ask the Lord to fill them. Because when we do that, what we're asking God to do really is I want God to use my mind. I want God you know, I want, I want God to direct me. I, I want God to, to give me his, his wisdom. I want to make sure that every aspect of my life really is submitted to him. So that's not a bad thing. But what I am saying is that we want to make sure that we don't, again, connect it with this verse and then create this entire teaching um, out of that where that seems to be the focus. That that's all you do. Because I, I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, I don't think that's the force. In fact, Grammatically, when you look at it, when you read the various books that talk about the Greek language and this passage, what those tell you is that even though this is an imperative, it's passive rather than active. And what they mean by that is, in this verse, it's implied God is the one who does the filling. It is not implied you and I do the asking. So there's a difference there. All right? So God is the one who does the filling. It's not that we have to actively go and seek the filling. So looking to God for the filling seems to be the major emphasis. And so once again, it, it, we go back on the side of we are dependent upon God for everything. Even when it comes to, you know, what I mentioned before about this longing to want to be directed by the Lord and used by the Lord. Okay, that longing that we have, you and I just can't muster that up. That comes about by the work of the Spirit of God. We're dependent upon God to create that in us. We can't create that on our own. Well, you can, but only for a little while. Right? There's a lot of things we can do in the flesh, a lot of things we can do as Christians that we can do maybe even well for a short period of time. We're capable of, some of us anyway, are capable of some pretty extraordinary things. And, 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 and that's not what the, the point is. We, we, we want these things to be developed in our lives by God himself. But the theme, the minor theme, so the major theme is that God does the filling. The minor theme is that the believer's responsibility is to lead an obedient, circumspect life in relation to God. 
in relation to others within the church and in relation to those outside the church. It's really, it's very simple. The idea is, is that I have a responsibility to obey God. There's no secret, dear God, please fill me. There's no, oh, wait, before God can fill me, I've got to repent of these sins, and I've got to confess these sins. Have I confessed everything? Because if I haven't confessed everything, then he won't hear my prayer. No, it's none of that. I need to live in obedience to what he says. It's that simple. I, I need to examine and think about my life in relation to who God is. That means I think about what I do. I think about the way that I do that. I am to think about every aspect of my life. All right? So my life as a husband, my life as a father, my life as a grandfather, my life as a pastor, whatever it happens to be, I need need to think about my life in light of this relationship that I have with God. Then along with that, as I examine that, I want to also examine and make sure that I'm I'm carefully um, investigating and looking at the way that I relate to people that are within the church and to those who are outside the church, to believers and to non-believers. That's really very important. Um, Some of you may have heard me tell you this this story. When I was a chaplain of the jail, um, one of the uh, um, things that was required, because at that time the jail was, was what they considered an accredited jail, I won't tell you what all that means. It's kind of neither really neither here nor there. It's kind of boring. But one of the things that that was required was the chaplain had to have access to every aspect of the jail. And so I had a reader card because uh, everything was electronic, and I could go into every place in the jail. There was no place that was off limits. I could go, you know, some officers could go only in some places. I could go everywhere. Uh, not a big deal. I didn't abuse that, but that was just the way that it was. And there was this sergeant. And one time I was in an area he'd never seen me in before. And it was an area, I guess he was newly assigned, I'm not really sure. But nonetheless, he wasn't real happy I was there. And so he came up to me and wanted to know what I was doing. He wanted to know who I was, what in the world was going on, how did I get in what he considered to be a restricted area. And so I just told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm Chaplain Bob, I'm the chaplain here, and I kind of went through all those things, and... And he, he, well, how did you get in here? I said, well, I, I, I rub this up against the thing, and it turns green, and I go in. You know? And he goes, who gave that to you? That would be the sheriff. <laughs> you know? And so, but, so the thing was, is he was, I could tell he was just really disturbed by the whole thing. And I'm glad this happened. But as, as we, the conversation kind of finished, and I finished my business, and I was going back to my office, my thought was... This guy's not a happy camper. I don't know if he's going to try to undermine anything I do, but I need to be careful in, how, in the way that I approach him. Not because I don't want him to undermine what I, what I was doing, because I really didn't think that was going to happen. Because I was convinced. that well, you know, he can, I could have said, hey, he can do what he wants. The sheriff gave me this. I don't care what he does. I can be, but that's, just, that's not the right attitude. And so I want to make sure that in a sense, I want him over. I just want him to know that I'm not against anybody. I'm really for everyone. And my business is really about the gospel. And if he ended up coming to me and saying, you know what, from now on, I want you to ask permission to be in my section, you know what, I'm okay with that. I, wasn't going to, I was not going to, because I've seen other chaplains do this. Really? Well, I don't need your, position, your, your um, approval to be in any section. 
My, my pass key gives me access. I'll take it when I want it. I've seen chaplains do that. They, you know, that doesn't really promote the gospel when you do that. It's just unnecessary. So I, so I was thinking about all of these things and about this individual. I said, you know what? I'm not going to go out of my way to be kind of a phony do-gooder and be his best buddy, but I'm going to be nice to the guy. You know, he didn't know me, and it's okay. And so for the course of the year, uh, you know, it ended up being a year I would come across him and, you know, different things would happen. Well, it was really good. The Lord was good that I was thinking all that and that happened because at the end of a year, he was transferred. And he became the sergeant in the area where my office was and where my special dorm was where, that I taught in every day. But because I had treated him with respect and with kindness, thank goodness, it all went really well. And he, was, and he ended up being on my side. So the thing is, is that we have to think as a Christian. And I need to, I need to be obedient to the scripture, which tells me to be respectful to others, to be loving, to be kind, to not be self-centered, to, to, not, to not be malicious, to not talk behind their back, all those things. And I take all those things into consideration as I then evaluate my relationship with those outside the church. That's what we are to do. And, and that's, you know, I guess if you want to use the term, which I just said you shouldn't use, the secret <laughs> to a sanctified life, that's kind of what it is. You know, I'm called by God to live in obedience. It's that simple. It's not simple to do, but it, it's that simple. You know, it's not a complicated process. It's a very natural thing. So again, the idea here is that God is the one that does the filling, and I am the focus on my uh, responsibility, which is to live in obedience and to live a circumspect life. The Spirit of God, of course, already lives in us. Uh, what God desires is for the Christian community. Okay, that's all of us as believers. God's desire for the Christian community and for the individual believers to manifest the Spirit's presence in ever-increasing fullness. That's what he's talking about. We need to live our lives so that it is evident to others, just like it's evident that this guy is drunk, it needs to be evident that I'm filled with the Spirit of God. It, it kind of goes back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was preaching and he talked about the good works that we do, he says, do your good works before others. He says that. So that they will what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Not think that you're great, not think how good you are, but the idea is, is that you are doing something that seems to be out of character for human beings. Not for you, but for human beings. Maybe continuously good, continuously patient, but the idea is, is they have to attribute that to someone else besides you. And the case that he's talking about there is that uh, it would be God himself. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Turn, if you would, for just a moment to the book of Isaiah, chapter 63. Just a real simple truth that I want us to be aware of when it comes to uh, the expectations of God and the Holy Spirit and his presence. <clears throat> Isaiah, chapter 63, and I want to look at verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> it reads this way, speaking about Israel. Yet they rebelled. And grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy. And he himself fought against them. Then his people recalled the days of old. The days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea? 
with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set the Holy Spirit among them? So basically, what I just read is it is said that God had put his spirit in the midst of Israel. That's what he's talking about. But God's people had grieved the Holy Spirit of God. So God had already put his spirit in the midst of the people. All they had to do was not grieve him. All they had to do was live what? In obedience. That's all they had to do. That's what they didn't do. And so as a result of that, uh, we have this difficulty. And God has to turn them over to be punished for uh, their iniquity. So what's interesting is there's no reference in the New Testament where believers are encouraged and to ask to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so, so again, it's not this thing that I'm a believer and I'm not filled, and so I have to ask God to be filled. Now again, that doesn't mean conclusively that somehow it's wrong if you do that. So I don't want you to think that, you know, what Bob said, you should never ever ask to be filled with the Spirit because that's a sin. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, that's just not given to us in the New Testament. Just because it's not there doesn't mean you can't do it, but to make that the emphasis of sanctification seems to me to be problematic. All right? But I do think, again, uh, we just shouldn't have this really strong emphasis on asking to be filled with the Spirit um, uh, as a procedure for believers. Uh, because we see the example in the Old Testament, and again, we know that as believers, we have the Spirit of God in us, and the New Testament tells us what? Don't grieve. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me do one more. Fourthly, and that is this. In this command in 518, it is what's called the present tense. Uh, and what that means is that Paul has a desire for these believers to be filled with the Spirit continually. So again, it's not like you know, what I used to even think before, that somehow we have to keep trying to find ways to turn ourselves over to God so that I'm always under control. It's a very natural process in the sense that if you look at it this way, when you raise your children, number one, you, know, we've all, you may have heard this, you know, you are what you eat. Uh, so so that your, your kid doesn't have to really do anything to be what they eat. Give them Twinkies and Pop-Tarts all the time. They will be what they eat. Uh, you know, that's kind of the idea that's there. It's, just, it's a natural thing that takes place. You can, you can tell what they're filled with, so to speak. Uh, so here the idea is that our lives are to be characterized by the presence of the Spirit of God. So again, it's not something that I'm just kind of neutral and I'm asking God to do this for me. It is what takes place as I live my life as a Christian according to the scripture. In other words, as I grow in Christ, people will see the manifestation of the Spirit of God in me through my wise living, through my grateful worship, through my God-honoring worship, uh, by my submitting properly to what we call proper relationships. In other words, the idea is, is that, for example, if I, as I grew up as a kid, I, I submit to my parents and do what they say. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And so by doing that, I am, you know, that's part of the revealing that, that the Spirit of God is in me, you know, that, that I'm filled by the Spirit. Uh, as an adult, as I show respect, the proper respect to those who have certain offices, whether it's a, a police officer in the world or whatever it happens to be, uh, what that reveals is, is the Spirit of God. As I then worship the Lord, the way that I worship the Lord, uh, the way that I honor Him, the way that I live, seeking to live in wisdom, that, those are the things that God wants. Those are things that Paul is commanding that we allow to kind of come out in our life. 
That, that's what it means to live your life as if you're filled by the Spirit, because we're living in submission uh, to the Word of God. So then Paul does not see believers asking to be filled with the Spirit, but again, he's encouraging them to live lives that are permeated by the Spirit's presence. So what we can do then with that, just I guess you would say an application. What we can do is, number one, we can ask the Lord to help us to evaluate where we are in our lives as Christians. And so I would ask myself, do I live my life in such a way that it appears that the Spirit of God permeates my existence? And some people say, well, not exactly. You know, I'm, there's, i got this problem here and I have this problem here. Okay, so we need to address those things. But the way that you address them, once again, is not by asking God to fill you. It's living what? In obedience to what he says. Examining my relationship to him and to others, believer and non-believer, to make sure that it's in accordance to the word of God. As I do that, God is the one who is filling me with his spirit. That also, what we're also dealing with there is that, you know, my life is empowered by the spirit. My life is energized by the spirit. And the idea there is that God is the one who gives to us the ability. He gives to us the strength. God gives to us the desire, uh, all the things that we need to live a life or the life of what you might want to call the spirit-filled life, that is what God does in us. And our responsibility in all of that is to do these things that we've talked about. So in a sense, it's, it's much simpler. It's not trying to find some kind of special formula uh, or some kind of a special service to kind of create an experience. And that's kind of all in with it. That's kind of what has, has happened in some circles within Christianity. When there's a, a frustration, maybe, maybe a proper frustration, with our lives as Christians, because they're not what they should be. And so maybe those who are uh, leaders in the church really want to do what they can to help people kind of come to heads with this, come to grips with this. And so the idea is, well, let's, let's create a service where we can really... And sometimes they'll say it this way, and they don't mean it in a bad way, but the idea is let's kind of really, let's create a, a, a service that really has some oomph to it. And we really want to, you know, we want them to really, we want them to feel what's, what, what's going on. The idea is to kind of almost manipulate uh, the emotions to get individuals to come to this state to where they're just, re- they're just ready to surrender everything to God. And again, that sounds, especially if you're in those kinds of meetings, it can sound so wonderful and sound so pious, but that's not what God's called us to do. You know, God's never going to manipulate you and me into doing anything like this. He, it's, a, again, a very natural process. He wants us to love him in the same way that he loves us. In the same way that we want our kids to love us. We all want our kids to love us. You might be able to manipulate your kids to love you for a little while. But even if they do love you for a little while, it's still pretty empty. What we want is the genuineness of, of the relationship. That's, that's what we want. And of course, that comes with the good and the bad. There are times when there's some hurt, as well as times that it's just wonderful. We can bask in the warmth of it. And so the idea then for us as believers is that. Is that I just this is available to all of us, regardless of your personality, regardless of your emotional makeup. We can all read what it says, and we can live in obedience to what it says. We can treat each other with respect and with kindness and with grace. We can seek to do good. We can seek to encourage each other. 
We can pray for each other. We can seek to grow and understand who God is and follow what he says, and it will become evident. And I do think that one of the things that Paul is emphasizing, which I will emphasize again later, is that if we're doing this as a community of believers, that's what the church is, the more that I read through the scripture, the more that it seems that one of the main ways that people come to Christ is by, is by what others see in us collectively. The way, not only the way we treat each other and the way we are with each other, but the way we are together in our approach to God. The way we are together when we pray. When they, when they see the community of God living as they ought to live, they see the Spirit of God permeating the, the, lives of, the life of the church and the lives of the church members. When they see that, there's a power that's there that draws an individual to God. It, apparently it reveals a great need, uh, maybe great needs that are in their life. And as a result, it gets them thinking about the reality and, and the truth of who God is and brings them to himself. It's really, it's really a unique thing, and it's a marvelous thing um, as you think about it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your, uh, again, your goodness to us. And Father, uh, for many of us, even though we may not have always been aware of it, uh, Lord, the Christian community has always meant a great deal to us uh, bef- before we became believers and definitely afterwards. Lord, it's easy to, to find fault with the Christian community. Um, it's easy to uh, accuse the community of, of not doing this or not doing that or maybe not doing something well enough. But Father, we all know that a, a community, of, any community of human beings is going to be imperfect. But Father, we do desire, we do want, Father, to, to live lives as individuals and collectively that reveal that we are filled with your spirit. And so, Father, we pray and we ask that you help us, Father, to, to desire to live in obedience to your word. At times, Father, we have difficulty with that. Our, our motivation or maybe our desire to live that way is not what it should be. We pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be those individuals who do think and evaluate the way our life interacts with both non-believers and believers. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about those things and then to think about them in light of your word and what it says. Fathers, we find shortcomings in our life. We pray, Lord, that we would be struck to the heart with grief because we have failed you and failed others. But then remind us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ and that we are forgiven. We pray that your spirit would strengthen us. The Lord, that you would drive us to your word, that we would desire to read, to study. That, Father, our minds and our hearts would become permeated with the word of God and what it says. Because, Father, that gift is so magnificent, so wonderful. And it's, again, as your word says, that the word is, is alive, it's living. And it's going to have its way in us. It's going to work in us. And Father, we desire that. So Lord, we pray that not only would our hearts be encouraged, but perhaps, Lord, we might be an encouragement to others. We thank you once again, Father, for being so patient with us. Because sometimes, Father, it seems that we're foolish a lot. And we're just grateful, Lord, that you haven't just kind of thrown in the towel. 
So Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us, Lord, as individuals and together, that we may indeed bring glory and honor to your name. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.